So I'm over the moon to announce that we've got a new sponsor. It's BDO, who are the trusted accountancy and advisory firm that you may know. BDO is the perfect partner for our podcast, as we both love to help entrepreneurs build high-value businesses, and BDO are always there to help advise people like you on how to succeed. I had the pleasure of meeting a few of the team at the Publican Awards, and I found out they were massive fans of the podcast, were obsessed with the success of our industry, and also a million miles away from the grey-suited drones that you usually deal with. To check out more about BDO and how they can help you get to the top, go to bdo.co.uk. Supersonic! 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 From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. The rocket fuel podcast for food, drink and hospitality businesses everywhere. Listen up, tell all your friends and share with your colleagues. Every single episode is packed full of tips, tricks and advice on how you can make your brand boom. So this afternoon, I've got the real pleasure of wandering aimlessly around Soho and also heading towards the head office of the Pizza Pilgrim guys, Tom and James Elliott. I had the pleasure of being on a panel with Tom the other week and he was just charming, funny, interesting, laid back and just looked like all the success they've had was a bit of a walk in the park. And I love seeing people that, you know, are just a bit easy, no stress, because um, I think I'm a bit high-wired, so I always admire that in people where they're calm, cool, and collected. Also, I'm going to meet James today, his brother and co-founder. Really excited to meet James. I haven't met him properly yet, so it'd be great to see what he's got to say so we're going to go through the beginning, so pilgrimages and uh, starting up in the van and starting up near Berwick Street and all these different things, all the way through to the huge success they've had today and also where it's heading in the future. It gives me the most crusty pleasure ever. Start again. Hey. <laughs> no, one more time, please. Crusty's got really weird. Uh, let's do that again. Um, so, <laughs> so it gives me the most enduya pleasure ever. Keep no, um, it gives me the most uh, oven baked, beautiful, don't touch golden. That Leopard print. That's beautiful, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, we're going to keep all that in. Um, to introduce uh, birthday boy James. And uh, not birthday boy, Tom Elliott. Mm. Hello. From the Pizza Pilgrims. Hello. Hello. What a pleasure to be here. Well, it's, yeah, it's been a quick relationship. So we, we met on the panel, and you were fanboying um, James at the front. And, uh, yeah, we just had a lovely limoncello spritz um, <laughs> yeah. at the casual dining show, which was lovely. And then I thought, I think these guys have got so much to say. And then anyone that I've asked um, about you guys has just had nothing but praise and just saying they're lovely boys. 
And our nation. Our mum. You got our mum's number, please. Yeah, and also, I'm a complete fanboy because subsequently from meeting you, I've now listened to every single one. You're my, you've been my commute for like the last two months, which has made me like really annoying in the business because now I have like a little bit of information about a lot of stuff. Dangerous. So, Dangerous. Just splurt stuff. Definitely yeah, no comment. It's such a shame the voice doesn't live up to the face. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> never mind, never mind. Um, so, yeah, so basically, well, we're going to have just have a bit of a friendly chat. We've got some on brand uh, Moretti beer. Happy days. So, yeah. well done for getting those up in the lift. Shafting arms fine. Excellent. So, yeah, a bit earlier than I'd planned to start today, but that's all right. Um, so, yeah, so I guess the first question was. Uh, you know, going right back to the start, so not quite the actual birthday or anything like that. But where did this idea begin, and how did it start? What happened? Kind of over a pint Moretti, uh-huh. basically. Yeah, I think that the the thing that started off was we were both working in jobs that we hated. So I was in TV production, uh-huh. which is a glamorous way of saying I was a runner. So I was making tea for cameramen for like seven years. And you were you had a proper job, but you were in advertising. I worked in advertising and was increasingly just not able to be excited about, you know, the client wants it green, the creative director wants it red, and I'm in the middle. Yeah. Rubbish. Absolute rubbish. So yeah, I did that for seven years and then we were in the pub. And we, we I mean our parents have always run pubs ever since we were six. We've lived in a pub. Okay. So that kind of like hospitality thing has just been pervasive, I guess, since... Yeah, since so I grew up working by the bar and then in the kitchen, so had some food experience. The original, original idea was to start a pizza oven company. Uh-huh. So we were going to build pizza ovens in people's gardens as a kind of, like... I think the marketing strap line was going to be, it's like a barbecue, but with a roof on it. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a really, really fun idea, but then, like, that month, this guy, never heard of him, Jamie Oliver... Oh, <laughs> He never made it. So. Yeah, 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 he's washed up now. But uh, he uh, he basically started an amazing pizza oven company that same month, and we were like, probably going to let him just run with that. <laughs> so then we went back to work for like two years, and then it was it was Scott and Yanni, meat liquor, meat liquor guys. Yeah, it was a full like in a car park in Peckham, eating a burger with three hundred people around an old ambulance, going, wow, street. Because we were going to open a pub, and then opening a pub's really expensive. Yeah. And then when the street food thing happened, it was like. Okay, cool. So you can do it for... So, you know, we started the business on a 10 grand credit card. Wow. God bless Barclay Card. Oh, oh yeah, well, I used to work there. <laughs> Did you? Yes. So yeah. Barclay, Barclay Card started the business. Wh- so which we, year was this? Uh, would have been 2011 that we Ooh. first had the idea. Right, I'd be just leaving about at that point, I think. Really? Yeah. Well, that Barclay Card has got a lot to answer for. <laughs> we then banked with Barclays, which wasn't quite as dreamy, and we had no bank with them anymore. We had our bank manager, Peter O'Flaherty, came down and worked a day on the store. Oh, he was, was such oh. a hero. I um, loved him. So, yeah, we, we'd kind of been, like, I'd, I'd been working 18-hour days on film sets doing absolutely nothing, just, like, mulling over this idea of, like, a tuk-tuk, you know, one of the little three-wheeled yeah. apes, and putting another in the back. And I remember being in the Blues Bar on Charlotte Street, 12 Bar, whatever it's called. Yeah. It's gone now. And I remember showing you a picture of something I'd drawn going like, it's called the Rolling Stone Fire Company. Do you want to do it? Because we basically have very different skills. Okay. <laughs> Someone's intelligent and has, you know, understands maths and can start companies. So I was like, I definitely need Tom on board. <laughs> so, you were the strapling guy. Yeah, yeah. I was like, should we name our company after the most famously litigious band in the history of music? <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe Rolling Stone's not the right one. Uh, but yeah, we found those drawings the other day. But yeah, I mean, it was literally that kind of basic an idea. And obviously, 
street food was starting to happen and we used to go down to King's Cross and fanboy over people like obviously Petra with, with Chockstar and the bowler and uh, Alec from uh, Bangor Burger and all of those and Nick from uh, Hamon Hamon Paella like all those guys that literally were the absolute dons of this stuff and we'd yeah. go down and be like oh my god I can't believe these guys have got a van and it's working and it's so cool and uh, that, you know, that, that was we just were right place right, right time like we could actually do it like you could you could start a business on a credit card and there was a sort of platform to legitimise it which was amazing I, I remember thinking because in TV and people were like rushing past me in terms of getting promoted in the, in the TV world Ooh. and I was still there staring PG tips and all of my mates that were doing well were making their own short films right. and then off the back of that they were getting work and they were getting jobs and stuff so we thought you know this will be a six month project we'll, we'll buy the pizza van we'll run it as a festival thing for the summer and then off the back of that we might get a job in food that mm. was the genuine plan behind the thing yeah. and then as I was getting out of TV I remember pitching it as a TV show so we ended up pitching it to a bunch of TV companies mm-hmm. this idea that kind of developed out of the five pints in the pub well it actually came from I was leaving my job in an advertising agency and I discovered that one of the senior people in the advertising agency was leaving to start Fitzbillies in Cambridge oh, yeah. which is like a kind of heroic uh, sort of tea room in Cambridge so I just emailed her and said you're going to start a bakery I'm going to start a pizzeria let's go for a beer went for a beer with her her husband is a guy called Tim Hayward who is like a, some legendary food oh, critic lovely guy and he's just this ball of enthusiasm and just like this is the best idea ever you should totally pitch this sort of pilgrimage to Italy as a TV show because we, we, we obviously had start, decided to start the company but then we had no idea about pizza but then, but then there's Jeopardy in it and there's oh, learning yeah, like, and there's Jeopardy of, yeah. there's learning there's like beautiful stuff there's food yeah. like this has got everything you need yeah. so we were like you're an idiot but okay so then we pitched to Pat Llewellyn who was the woman who, she is the voice on the first Jamie Oliver episode. Oh. So we sent her a letter being like, you know, we've got this stupid idea, what do you reckon? She was like, love it, come in. Went and met her. She sadly passed away about two years yeah, ago. Yeah, I, I did see yeah. Jamie actually doing a post about it. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. But she was literally the woman who discovered Jamie and then is the voice, you know, that woman sort of asking him questions yeah. off camera. Yeah. She was amazing and she was like, I love this idea, it's absolutely brilliant, but we want to wait a year. And we were like, look, we're not, we're not, we don't really, the TV thing is like a fun to have but we want to get on and do this because we kind of otherwise we have no money so we kind of said look we're going to have to pass with that and we went with a much smaller company who were like look we'll do it on the fly and see how we get on mm. so we ended up making a TV show which was on uh, the Food Network and that was a mad experience we, we booked for a 10 day trip to get we bought the little tuk-tuk in mm. Sicily and we booked a 10 day trip to get from Sicily back to London by Pizza Pilgrimage right. stopping off at all the places you wanted to stop off at we really hadn't accounted for how slow the van was. So <laughs> what was it doing? Like we figured out, or We figured out... 15? We, you really? We'd done the driving speed on Google Maps, and then we figured out after the first day that the way to get to the speed of the Ape is to take the average of the driving speed and the walking speed on that, Google Maps. That's your, that's your Ape speed. So it took us... We, we were on the road for six weeks. Wow. With this film crew making this mad, like, road trip documentary about... <laughs> Driving through Italy in a free world tip We've got footage of us being overtaken up a hill by a jogger. Like, it's that sad shit. That it's like the Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. So it's literally just yeah. when you think. Yeah. 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 Um, but that was an, like, it was just an amazing experience. And, like, God bless the Italians. Like, if you have a film crew with you, they let you into their house. It's yeah. like, let me show you everything. Yeah. So we just had this mad journey all the way up the west coast of Italy. 
going through like Calabria, so we did that's what we found in Duya. Yeah. And we thought that we were gonna bring in Duya to London. Turns out that's got that other people found that as well. Yeah. Right. And then we went to Naples and that's when we had a ne- Neapolitan pizza and it was like, okay, this is the pizza we want yeah. to serve. Yeah, yeah. It was like sort of a shit Julia Roberts moment of like, oh, this is quite something. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah. and you had the boots on. Yeah, yeah, the whole, lot, the, whole lot. The, the TV show allowed us to like write an itinerary, which meant that we, you know, we went to the Basel Flower, we went to spend a day with an olive oil maker, wine. Is it not vinegar. impressive? Seeing the, the olive oil being made with the big oh, presses. Incredible. I could watch that all day. It's I saw some footage on Facebook. Like, um, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, so we just had this like mad 30 day, I mean, it was exhausting. We would do a 14 hour, because it was an, with an independent oh. company, like they put, they put everything on red. They put all their money into producing this show, which hadn't got a channel to oh. be shown on. So fair play to those guys, Rampage Studios. Yeah, um, And uh, so we were doing 14 hour shoot days. And then we get in the Ape and we drive four to eight hours to the next thing, find a hotel, get a head down, and we did that for 30 days straight. Whoa. So by the end of that, I mean, it was just absolutely just broken. Done. And can you still watch it now? Is it all up on YouTube or is it somewhere else? Is it um, an on-demand I edited thing? Some, well, we edited some videos that we made ourselves on our phones, but I don't know, I don't know if you can still... It's still on... Um, weirdly, the show got sold like to the weirdest places around the world. Did it? So it's it's still on National Geographic in Italy on quite a hard repeat. We're quite big in Lagos, Nigeria, apparently. Yeah. Have so you have you been? Uh, no. no. Oh, you should. We have people fly over to come and have pizza. We finished the show. We got back. Managed to find a guy in Essex who had a combination of a pizza oven company and an engineering degree, and he managed to put you know this one ton pizza oven in the back of a tiny scooter tuk tuk thing. We call, and we, and it would still go. We called Piaggio and said, can this be done? Like we managed to track down someone at Piaggio and said, could we put a one-ton pizza oven in this van? And they, they came back with a very, very clear, no, it cannot be done. The van won't work. But God bless her. She is seven years old and she... Still, still passing her MOT. She's, she's still going. Right now. She's getting a little facelift, but it's, it's all all aesthetic. Like, I think geez. I saw a stuck in. Did you not have got a stuck in the mud videos that were up on Instagram a while ago? So much stuck in the mud yeah. stuff. Our biggest I'm ever sure our biggest ever retweet was when we ran out of petrol on the A40. <laughs> <laughs> and someone had to come and like. I'm going to shock you. It's not four wheel drive. Yeah. Well, it hasn't even got four wheels. Yeah. <laughs> There's a clue. There's a clue. Three wheel drive. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So then we we just it was just really great. We had the oven in the back, so suddenly we were like. Upwardly mobile, Ooh. and then Tom, in the way that Tom is built, hammered the councils to find us a market spot. And it was you saying we need to be somewhere. We need to be in a, in a fixed location mm. five days a week, so people can recommend. Twitter was just happening at the time, mm-hmm. yeah. So it was like if we're not in one spot all week, people won't be able to recommend us to their friends and say you've got to go try these pizza, pizza yeah. down Berwick Street. Yeah, yeah. and it felt, it felt like you know as much as we loved the curb thing and we were involved in the Merley, like. I felt you didn't want to be part of Curb. You wanted to be your own, yeah. your own person. Yeah. Like if you're just part of that collective, you're never, you know, you're always in the shadow of that in some ways. Yeah. Which is, you know, in many ways it's great because you know Curb is a fantastic name and a fantastic business, and you know you're getting quality if you go there. But it's harder to stand out with ten other great people around you. Well, well. I guess it's like a, well, not a Debenhams after today, but you know, <laughs> it's just like a, you know, House of Fraser. You know, it's a bunch of, you know, if you're yeah. just a concession within. And nothing else. At the time, we were looking at. We had a weird thing where Scott called us very early on and was like, "I like you guys." Scott Collins. Yeah, we got the kind of call up yeah. from the Godfather yeah. of <laughs> for like, sure. Yeah, he's amazing. And we went and sat in the one that's just being demolished now. 
Literally speak to one of us. Uh, Original meat liquor. Yeah. It's going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Such an icon. Yeah, yeah. Well, yesterday it started or something. What? Yeah, yeah. Such an amazing building. We just went and had this beer with him. He was like, like what you guys are doing. Let us know if you need any help. So, yeah, Tom got us a stall on Barrett Street Market, which was, I mean, if you think about rents today in Soho, we were paying £10 a day for a shop on. To trade. It was unbelievable. And we just had the most amazing two years because we were... It was before the street food market was really set up. It was us and yeah. these, this band me set up and then all of the sort of man and boy fruit and veg. Yeah, yeah. And so we turned up in the first week without a clue what we were doing. And we'd rented the basement space off Billy, Mad Billy, from The Endurance. Do you remember the pub, The Endurance? I do. That was... So we... Was, that was on the corner, wasn't it? Best jukebox. Great jukebox. Best jukebox in Soho. And also, I would say top three stuffed bears in Soho. But we camped out in, in his pub for the first week. Right. Just going like, can we have half a basement space? And he was like, no, no, no. And then after a week, it was. Re- I mean, looking back, it was just such a fun time because it was like nothing to lose. Yeah. But you could just be an absolute like. You just had to be. You're so persistent. You email, yeah. email the council and go, can I get a pitch in your market? I'm really sorry, we're booked up. We've got a waiting list. And you'd go down and stand in ten pitches and send them a photo and be like, I'm here on a Friday lunch and there's ten spaces. Yeah. Like you're wrong. Yeah. Keep, and just keep emailing them until it's easier for them to say yes than no. But it, it becomes such a nice thing because, like, you've got nothing to lose, so it's all just the gift of the blag. Like, yeah. what can you blag? You know, can you, you know, yeah. with a cheeky smile, and, yeah. and like, what can you... And I, that's definitely I, I, one thing we try to not lose as a business. Is like well, that I, kind of, like, we let's have well, a crack. I think, you know, knowing you for a very short time, but, you know, I'm sure you were nice with it. You know, you weren't... Oh, yeah, yeah. anything like that you were just politely Tom went through a knuckle duster face yeah <laughs> that was a low point but I can't, um, I can't imagine <laughs> <laughs> but then I guess these days you've got things like street dots and all these things have you seen guys like that so much has come up yeah. like street dots and obviously curb has grown and grown yeah, and, and Pierre, street, Pierre, feast and street feast street feast they go and talk market halls we yeah. go and give like talks to and the guys that are starting street food things now they like they come up. So I'll, we go and give like a like a ten minute presentation of how, how we did it and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And they'll come up afterwards and they just like like what's your EBITDA on the uh, square footage? And they're like really? Yeah. Like, we didn't even know. We would like, never have made it if we, if we started today. Like the, these guys doing street food now are ten times further down the line than we are. Well, I think it's quite funny though because if you look back, at, you know people must have been saying to you. You know, what are you doing? You're a pair of losers, you know, with a stall and I go and get a real job and you really yeah. you're gonna So you know, I think that a lot about, you know, the coffee business and the, the craft beer thing before it really took off and you know, it, it, you were kinda the or, or, or living like living in Shoreditch thirty years ago or you know, you were yeah. there when it was shit and hard and you know but yeah, I I think it's almost jumping the shark about a lot of the street food stuff now because because then the money people you know, sort of snaking and sharking, and they put barriers up, and it must be hard to just. What's the next success story going to be without backing? Yeah, and it just should. I guess you get to the point now where like private equity companies are backing like people with a market stall. Yeah, it's like this doesn't seem the right thing. Yeah, but it shouldn't. It shouldn't go away because it is. In many ways, it's like the purest form of hospitality. Ooh. Like, tell me another hospitality job where you make the food, you take the money, you talk to the customer, you watch them eat the food, you get the feedback. I mean that. Yeah, it's the full like closed loop of feedback. Yes, yeah. it's, it's amazing, and we we learned by doing that for a year, we learned more about you know the business than we than we and would have learned by having a restaurant. I would definitely argue that it's still ten times. I mean, I'm maybe way off the mark here, but it still feels ten times more authentic than what used to happen. Which is like either you'd climb the ranks through you know 
a serious restaurant operator and then yeah. raise a hell of a lot of money and open a concept that yeah. is being dreamed up in a boardroom. I think street food's an amazing way now to mm. start. The people that rise to the top of street food are going to be, you know, the food's going to be great. They're going to nail their products. I think it's a, it's a much better incubator than... I, can't know, I don't actually know how they used to do it. How did they yeah. used to come up with restaurants? Was it just mad people with loads of money just go straight into a restaurant? Well, I guess you didn't have them. You just had chains of restaurants. Yeah, it was... It was, yeah. It was I guess it was almost pick a country, wasn't it? You know, we'll you know we'll do Italian, we'll do French, we'll do Chinese, we'll do you know. It, it kind of felt like that for a long time. And it but was, it involved a lot of money up front, so the ability oh, sure. to take low risk, no low low cost risk, yeah. and go. Do you know what? Like some of the cool street things they're having now are so niche, but that's so glorious. Yeah, like, I love that. Like yeah. Elliot, who used to work with us, now runs the kitchen at the brewery in Hackney, and he's. He's like pioneering chicken necks is the new chicken wings and they're absolutely delicious. But yeah. like, you could never get money to back a chicken neck. Concept. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I love it. I think it's great. I think it's there's still room for growth in it. Yeah, massive. I think I think it's just harder to get in there. I suppose it's like you know we were saying we we're going to do the whole thing in music analogy. So um, <laughs> it's almost like this sort of MySpace YouTube era. You know when you could just go on and be an average band yeah. and you would go through the roof, you know, just yeah. because of the exposure. But, you know, it's just, it's, it's getting quite saturated. But and you always got a second album. Oh, yeah. Always. It wasn't album. any good. It wasn't any good, though. <laughs> <laughs> just think about menswear. Um, but I think, you know, in, in terms of um, sort of crossover stuff as well, you know, you guys have crossed over brilliantly. Um, I think Chicken, Chicks and Sours, Chicks and Sours, yeah, I think yeah, they've crossed over brilliantly as well. Um, you know, so it's it's doable for sure. But do you think it's everyone's or most people's dream to then get the restaurants and stuff, or do you think there's a lot of people that just want to stay? There are definitely stay days niche. where I go, God, I wish you just had that back. Just go back, especially sunny days. Yeah, <laughs> but like genuinely, like that. You know, you look back on those days with so much fondness. Like there was no responsibility. Like you're out there doing your own thing. Like every sale you made was like completely you. It was an amazing feeling, and yeah. I totally understand Nick from Hamon Hamon, who still does street food and does it brilliantly well. And he's just like, "Why would you ever open a restaurant? Like everything about yeah. it is like admin and a nightmare." And and it, it, he's not wrong. Someone said, I think it was one of the guys from Curb in his presentation when I was sitting there. Yeah. He said that it's much harder to build a brand from street food now, but it's much easier to build a business. Because the market's much bigger. Yeah. So yeah. like, the, you know, street food is everywhere now. So, and if you can be a multi-site street food operator, mm. you can you can make some serious, you can have a real business. And so, um, that was the market store. What about First Sight then? Well, is I that guess, Brixton? I guess, it, no, First Sight was uh, in Dean Street. First, oh, was that the First Sight? Well, I guess we had this sort of middle ground where we did this thing called Forza Win. Which, um, oh, I've heard of that, so yeah. So Forza Win was, uh, is now run by, well, it's, it has been for like five or six years now, run by Bash, who's just like absolute sort of design restaurant genius. Like everything he does is just absolutely brilliant. Uh, but we, we, st- we started that about, it was literally two months in. This guy, we, I got introduced to Bash. He, he came down, we had a pint with him over there, and he, he said, I want to do a pizza pop-up in my garden. And we're like, okay, that sounds like fun, let's do it. We, we were just saying yes to everything at the time. Yeah. And then Bash being Bash is like, oh, I've just come back from a meeting like a week later and uh, we're actually going to do it on the roof of a production company in Brick Lane. And we're like, okay. 
So we found this incredible roof, like genuinely incredible. They allowed us to build the pizza oven on their roof, which we did over a week. I carried every brick up seven flights of stairs because it was there was no uh, lift. We traded there for two weeks and then they discovered a clause in their lease that says we weren't allowed to be there. I was going to ask about that. I was thinking about insurance and I was thinking... That was the most incredible lesson of like, (laughs) have you got any bit of paper that says you can do this? We didn't. (laughs) We we had a full roster of bookings though for the whole summer. Yeah. We were two weeks in and we'd taken the money and we'd spent some of the money. Because we sold all those tickets. So we put the tickets on sale and somehow managed to sell out like a whole summer. And it was like, oh, by the way, you can't do it here. And it was just, it was the most visceral like... I literally built this pizza oven from scratch, so seven floors up. I'm not taking the bricks away. Yeah. <laughs> this is not <laughs> no, that's the annoying thing, is they got the oven out. They got the bloody oven after all that. Um, so we moved, we went to Oval Space, and we opened an Oval Space, and we carried on the whole summer. We did the whole summer in Oval yeah, Space, yeah. and then at the end we were like, hang on a minute, so we've got Pizza Pilgrims over here, and Forza Win over here, we're not even a year in, and we're building two brands. Yeah. This isn't right, so we, we went our separate ways. Bash has yeah. Forza Win, and he runs amazing Forza Win in Peckham. And you should definitely go. And we, we started with Pizza Pilgrims. And we did it for... We started on the van March 2012. And we opened in Dean Street in August 2013. And I think it was basically when we got to December and it got freezing cold that we were like, this is not an all-year-round business. Yeah, yeah. That was the, the sort of the kick we, up the ass. That was when Twitter was God. And we were, everything, we, were t- we were tweeting everything. We tweeted everything on our trip. So we were kind of building a little bit of a, little bit of a following. Yeah. And it was just this real golden age of social media where you could message, any, I mean, you can still do it now to an extent, but you can message anyone and they will meet yeah. you for a beer. So yeah. we went, who's good at restaurants in Soho? And so we went, at Russell Norman, hey, yeah. <laughs> can we go for a yeah. beer? You and get then, to so anyone. It was amazing. Yeah, Russell celebrities. Amazing. Yeah. All sorts. It's the most under sort of discussed thing about social media, I think, is like, it, it may, if you'd sent him an email, you'd have ignored it. Yeah. But you could kind of tweet him, and at the time it was like, well, it's open platforms, so I've got to respond. Yeah. So we went, for, we went for a glass of wine with Russell Norman, and he found us our first site. He's fabulous, Russell. Lovely, lovely, guy. lovely, yeah, lovely yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, amazing. But I think the Dean Street one, it was so good for me because I used to, I started my business, Spectacular at the time, um, in Covadis. Oh, really? So I took a membership. It was like 300 quid. So they gave me the international rate because nice. I lived in Milton Keynes. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so I was like, thank you. And I said, you do realise I'll be here like all day. And they were like, yeah, whatever. Just, you know, be nice about us and bring, bring people in for meetings and whatever. Yeah. And I definitely sold my first year of memberships for them, that's for sure. But uh, yeah, it's when you opened it, I was like, come on. Because that's yeah. when I was starting, the, I was starting the business. So, and I'd stayed in the Nadler quite a lot. I got to deal with them. Oh, really? So that was my... Take home. And, the, and actually, yeah. Quinoises were amazing to us. What was the name of the amazing manager? I've forgotten. It was Spiteri. What's his name? Oh, John Spiteri. John Spiteri. Spiteri. Yeah. He was just legend. like, my boys. Yeah, he's an amazing. He's, he's like a legend. Or he's so. a great guy. And they helped yeah. us write our cocktail menu. So well, Gianluca. Yeah. The, old, the ridiculously handsome. Yes, uh, I know. With the martini Vespa uh, helmet. Yeah. I'll never forget so that. So he wrote our cocktail menu for us and did all of our bar training for our first team. It was such a night, like, Soho is just, it still yeah. has that amazing ability to just be like, there's a lovely little village. It's a great place. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, we opened, we, it was, a, it was Nusa Dua, an Indonesian restaurant, and Ross and I found it for us, and then we fitted it out, we did it, we, we did 70 grand to turn it from a Indonesian yeah. restaurant to a full pizzeria. We built the oven. We painted it, we, we built the flooring down, it was mega. It we was, did a lot of learning, a lot of learning. I remember, um, 
fridges. We, need, we needed fridges. And I, we were like tired in the oven one night at like midnight. Yeah. And this guy called Skip comes in, huge afro, just like he's yeah. got this van out the back. And he's like, do you guys need fridges? And we were like, I'm fine. You should need it. We definitely need fridges. <laughs> on in. So we bought five full height fridges off him and got them down the windy stairs. The, the legit the door. Oh, well, no. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Skip said they were legit, so come on. <laughs> they were legit. For the purposes of this podcast, they were definitely. Yeah. You got a receipt. So yeah. we put them in, put them downstairs, that which took six men four hours. And then in the first week, no, the first day, they were holding all of our dough and they all blew up all at the same time. And I called Skip. And this was the second biggest lesson we learned because when Skip said, I'll replace them, we were like, great! <laughs> Thanks, mate. Six more men, four more hours, and we got all the new five fridges down. Three days later, they all yeah. went down. Oh, no. So we like, Where was he getting his fridges? Oh, that was know. our first gospel lesson, is anything that makes things hot or cold in restaurants, yeah. don't skin. So yeah. Always spend money. ovens and fridges, just make sure they're yeah. Yeah. top of the range. But so, so you were just touching on menus there, so... What about all that? So, you know, I've just done a podcast with uh, Zan from Bleecker Street. Oh, Burger, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's just what a astonishing, yeah. And, yeah, so how did all that come about? So how long was the quest for, like, the dough you wanted, the, you know, this marinara sauce, I guess, the, the, the cheese, the, you know, how did all that work? We did a lot of research before we went on the trip. Mm. Then the trip was tailored to just really get under the skin of all the ingredients that we're going to be using. So yeah. every stop on that trip was one of the ingredients we still use in the business. Right. Um, and then I went back and worked in Naples through some of the contacts I'd made on the trip in a couple of the pizzerias, great. Um, which is great, sort of unpaid internship, yeah. waiting English guy in the corner making pizza. <laughs> and, then, and then street food. The pizza that we were making when we first opened on Berwick Street, at the back, it, it was tasty, but it was not... It, like we definitely learn over that year and a half we definitely learn yeah. about and the process it's something I know it's something you were saying but like, I genuinely believe the pizza we're making today is the best we ever made it gets better and better and we add stuff and we like we're constantly working on it we go to Naples probably six times a year and we do make genuine changes that we think make it better Yeah. and sometimes they cost more money um, sometimes it's just like a, you know a sideways step sometimes it's just a process thing but you know it's, it's, it's a really great I mean, you know, ask a Neapolitan guy and he'll say you work on pizza for 60 years and you're still learning. Like, yeah, yeah. And we really get that. Like, we really yeah. try and... We try and, like... We obviously recruit a lot of guys from Naples now and we try and, like, pool all that knowledge into, yeah. like... Remember, like, the sex manual in American Pie where, like, every generation would, like, add a page <laughs> or, like, a, a sticker or a tip? It's literally, like, that's what we've got. Like, that pizza The pizza sex like, manual. The pizza sex manual. <laughs> Oh my god, what have I done? Um, well, that's one of the coolest things about I mean, Zan is the queen of this, but like, if you're a street food brand or you're a single product brand, you don't have to, you know, gone to the days of the sort of A2 hard copy menu, which has got a hundred different dishes on. We spent the last eight years just thinking about pizza. Yeah, just and it's just it tight. so less stressful. Yeah. I mean, we don't, we don't quite know what it's like to have to come up with great recipes for 40 different dishes in a menu that changes, but it's felt like a lot of work just to yeah. keep working on the pizza because um, I, I just had lunch in Kingley Street uh, oh. King Court. Um, so that was great and I managed to get a seat and I was dead pleased and I, I think what was nice was I mean, I mean the food was amazing I enjoyed the fact you can chop and change the toppings and stuff like that you know yeah. I've been in for a while so I didn't know that was possible so I was really chuffed with that and the Induya dip was wonderful oh, um, okay. but the I think what was so good was the team were having a lot of fun 
you could see they were stressed, you know, there was a lot of people, it was really busy and all the rest of it, but they were still joking around a bit, and I think that's important. And there's just stuff like one of the guys who was a bit leery, he, you know, sort of uh, locked them in the cupboard or the whatever, what is, what is the that? The kiosk thing, yeah. yeah. So he kind of locked them in there, and he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's you know, yeah. yeah. But, God bless him. But, you know, it was just, it was good to see, you know, because you can just, because it was stacked in there you know I think um, it's important that, that they feel like it's you know they're part of the team and that yeah. you know it's our job to go in there and like high five them and tell them they're doing an amazing job because they you know that store particularly they do an amazing job yeah, they, yeah. they probably see like six to seven thousand customers every week and it's like it's a lot of people and if, yeah. if you're like going in there it's a sort of like angel of death to go yeah, in and yeah. just tell them they've done stuff wrong that's just miserable for everyone yeah, yeah. so I think but also you've got to walk the line of like it can't become slack and what you don't want is the customer to feel like they're not in on the joke. Yeah. That's the disaster. So it's, it's a line to walk, but making it a fun place to be is so important to us. For, yeah. For the team as well as the customers. And I just think being a single product thing, like yeah. for, for us, realistically, I mean, not that we do this, but it's quite a nice exercise to think if the pizza's good and the person serving it to you is happy, like what else could go wrong really yeah. like yeah. if the table's wobbly it's not even really a problem yeah 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 like it's just it's it was wobbly and it wasn't a problem <laughs> <laughs> I can believe that yeah we do have wobbly tables uh, yeah yeah I'm uh, trying to figure that out character I think yeah. you call that don't you? you do need to yeah. it's annoy- it annoys me when the table's wobbly <laughs> I'll be honest but, but yeah, yeah. We, have this, we have a few sort of like little mantras we like to live by and one of them is nothing serious but the pizza so, yeah you know it's it's weird 90s and noughties pop references all over the, all over the yeah. things so, but the pizza is taken very seriously by a team yeah. of Neapolitan chefs that take it very seriously. And it's, it's things like, you know, we've really tried to like instill that as a thing. So we used to have sort of, um, you know, like pun names for the pizza. Yeah. Like you'd have the odd one was like called, and you'd have specials with funny names. And we're like, no, no, this is not, this yeah. is a serious thing. Yeah. Like it's not a joke product. This is, so actually we've really tried to move away from that kind of thing. Yeah. Like the pizza is called what it is because... Yeah. We really think it's as good as it can be. Although the card that got put down at the end was fun with it. Yeah. Got to get through this. Got to get through this. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, well, that, that's you can have fun with that, but yeah. don't have fun with the pizza names because yeah. that's not for jokes. That's yeah. for serious pizza. Yeah. Which I, I don't know. Do you know what that that card? Because every business card and every pizza has a different pizza-based oh, pun on it. Okay. That one, Ricotta, get through this gets so much attention on social yeah, media. It's the best Absolutely. one. Because everyone loves that. Daniel Bellingfield. Yeah, I've got it ready. I've got it ready to go. <laughs> um, yeah, the pizza box art thing's been really fun. Uh, it, yeah it's kind of I don't know what, how would you explain it it's just, well, it's just been it's just, it really captured people's imagination we did this thing in Shoreditch when we opened Shoreditch we were like let's take a gallery in Shoreditch we're gonna it was the first ever national pizza day which I sort of I question why we need a day for every single thing that's ever happened yep. as much as pizza is great mm. it just feels anyway we did for the first national pizza day we did this thing took a gallery and we were like let's do pizza box art come down draw a picture on a box and we will um, give you a free slice of pizza. That was yeah. the idea. And we're like, we hope in three days we'll get about 300. We got 2,100 on day one. Wow. Uh, and it just, it, it had this glorious like innocence to it because we weren't asking for your email address. We weren't asking for your like phone number. We weren't trying to give you a coupon. It was just come in, draw whatever comes to mind and we'll give you a slice of pizza. And some people kind of came in and just scribbled yeah. and got their free pizza. Some people came in and spent three hours. One guy, I'll never forget, came in and like gave him a box and a pen and he drew a picture of a trumpet. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Do you play the trumpet? And he's like, 
haven't played the trumpet in 10 years. And he literally was like, I'm going to go and play tonight. And he like, walked out and he had this like, changed his life. little like, moment. And it yeah. was just, that, I guess that was the moment where we were like, this is actually really fun. Yeah. And we get endless entries in every pizzeria. Every pizzeria now has a pizza box art gallery. They're all up online, so you can enter online. And it's just as simple as if we like it and it goes on the wall, you get a free pizza. Nice. And it's just fun. Yeah, it's yeah. just really, really fun. And it was also one of those, I always found when you're, when you're running a small startup business, and you've got you know very finite budgets. You want everything to, to have three functions to it. So those perfect ideas that kind of like do a three three or four different things. So that gave us a bit of you know. It's almost that pinball effect. Yeah, it's really pleasing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That so this happens. one has yeah, 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 exactly. like the customers love it. It's great to talk about on social media, and then also it's a really cheap way to fill out the restaurants because they <laughs> yeah. they line the restaurants. So we don't have any expensive finishes. It's just. And when you walk in, it just makes you feel like, okay, this is a neighbourhood. Yeah, it's a just, living, breathing thing. It's just got, it's yeah. got a few things that work about it, so we really like it. And there was a Kim Kardashian one? Where she, there's the that was the ends on it? Do you know what, that was one of the first ever What was that? That was pretty really good. That's on a different, that's, that's on the old, old box style. Yeah. Yeah, it's on the old box, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I noticed that from Dean Street, like, you did decorate the windows in your boxes. Yeah. Anyway, like, even back then, so it's like yeah. always the kernel of the idea. It kind of did start there, out there, yeah. and I think we we weirdly one of the first events we ever signed up to do was the Freeze Art Fair. Uh-huh. And obviously, like I, I mean, joking aside, I had never heard of the Freeze Art yeah. Fair. Um, and we went and did the thing, and obviously all these art people, and we're like, we, should, we also employ a lot of people who you know do a lot of art stuff on the side. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people working in restaurants, obviously creative, mm-hmm. they're making films, they're making podcasts, they're doing art. So like you know, so many of our team engaged with it. Yeah, it just really did. That was another thing that we were big on for the, in terms of keeping the teams happy. So we have a a lot of waiters are also actors, yeah. comedians, musicians, yeah. artists. So we have this little art grant. So there's a thousand pounds a year to someone, and you can sign up for it at Pizza Pro. Oh, that's cool. And just so it was really cool. So two people a couple of years ago took the art grant and used it to go to Edinburgh with a play. And they're still touring that play now. So great. Wow. We lost a manager and the way we lost from it. Yeah. <laughs> Our staff turned over yeah. and increased because they both left to go to Edinburgh to do the show. <laughs> but it was the right thing to do. It was just, really just fun. get a thousand pound book token next time. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a much better idea. Art supplies. <laughs> from Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Just a friendly reminder that this podcast is brought to you by the good folk at BDO. BDO have been long-term supporters of the hospitality sector and they are really passionate about supporting innovative entrepreneurs on their journeys and they also want to give you the right advice and support to grow your business. Just in case you don't know, BDO provides tailored advice to the sector across corporate finance, due diligence, tax and all accounting matters. BDO work tirelessly to give their clients the advice that they need when they need it to succeed. For more information on BDO and how they can take your business to the top, go to bdo.co.uk. Hashtag ad. So we're back after our little uh, ad break and um, yeah, we've got more beers. So that was good and quick tea breaks and stuff. Um, I guess I was really curious as, as people listening might be as well as, you know, what happened from store, shop, restaurant, I don't know what you call them, um, one, um, and then multiplying. When did you decide that was the right thing to do? I mean, it sounds like such a sort of like made up thing now, but it really was like one piece at a time. There, uh, quite honestly, the first time we've ever had a plan is six months ago. First right. time we've ever written anything down that's more than six months in front of it's us. It's a good question though. When did we decide that we actually wanted to open 
like more than my I, number one was very much like the dream was that, totally that was like beyond our wildest dreams having yeah. a restaurant in Soho when like, did we when did we kind of go maybe we can make a go of this I mean I suppose it would have been the people would have been following so we were looking at you know the other people in the business at the time Byron was just this kind of like shining light of awesomeness that we mm. really great burger clean concept like I remember really fanboying about their business I mean that's seeing the other side of it and then I guess they're on the the comeback trail now when you're a new CEO and yeah. all these things can you see in that formula where that went a bit wrong you know was it menus or ingredients or too many or we, I suppose the way the way that we're growing at the moment feels right we, we're ambitious we've got a really good team behind us but mm. we're not opening restaurants and opening other ones without the ones that we're opening working yeah so we opened in the city mm-hmm. five day a week trade we've never done that before and we had this whole different challenge of how you get we are the busiest we are in any pizzeria in the city at lunchtime. It's mobbed. But then at three o'clock, it shuts off. Yeah. So we've had to change our tack, and, but we're getting there now. Yeah. And now we're hitting our targets on that site. And we're opening in Shepherd's Bush in two months' time. Mm. I think, I don't know, but Byron were 50. Well, they definitely had more than a pack of cards because every site had a card. And they ran out of cards, didn't they? So That's right. I suppose it's just that thing of opening at a rate that you can't correct the mistakes you're making or you know or, or correct the things that you could never have seen I remember opening our third site after Kingley Court Exmouth Market next to Dirty Burger they were growing at such a rate they didn't have time to go back and we were just it was so interesting watching us and how we were doing this was our baby number three yeah. we were putting all of our heart and soul into it at the same time Dirty Burger had five other sites going on it, it was tough for them I think and yeah. I just remember walking in there and they were doing like six grand a week and the manager was flipping the burgers and it was like, you haven't got enough time to come back and fix this. Yeah. You're off to the next one. Because you're, you're heading off. And then that's where they end up. We opened exactly the same. We both opened pretty much, like, I think, a week apart. We both opened on six grand a week. Yeah. Like, and we'd done two in Soho and we are yeah. like, okay. Yeah. This is now, you're out of, yeah, you're not in Soho anymore, Tozo type thing. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so we opened there six grand a week and they, they took the opinion of like, Pull everything out of it and just make it operate on six grand a week yeah. and hit your target, which is kind of not possible. And we can take the opposite approach, right? Like just keep working at it. And you know, sadly, they closed. Don't want to see anyone ever close, Ooh. but they closed. There's still an empty unit next to us. And you know, I don't want to talk about numbers, but we're doing three, three to four times that now a yeah. week at that site. And it's like, but it took a lot of work and a lot of you know rethinking and re, you know, putting a great team in there and thinking about the outside. It's been a constant like, and we're still. You know, what's that thing that Wagga was talk about, like Kaizen? Kaizen, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just that obsession of nudging it forward like 5% yeah. is, is the bit that genuinely excites It us. always feels like there's two very different contexts for restaurant growth. Mm. On one context, we're a street food van that's growing to 10 restaurants, and that feels like we have not touched the ground. We have just been running and running and running, yeah. and it's felt so fast. But then you put that in against the context of a much larger business that's growing at the rate that some business have grown in the last five years. And, we're like snail's pace. Well, I, I think, you know, uh, looking at it now, and, you know, if everyone had that 2020 hindsight, everyone would be lovely and, and doing well, but it is the Hawksmoors, the you guys, the Dishums, the maybe even Mowgli to a certain degree, you know, it's just that sort of slow and steady is, yeah. you know, going to win the race, yeah. I think, you know. I think those two guys, even though they're on obviously a very a different, different planet, yeah. to us, yeah. the way that... Will Beckett runs Hawksmoor in the way that the guys at Dishoon run Dishoon. Yeah. That was always our like shining light of how yeah. to do it. Really sensitive, really caring. Yeah. 
you know, going to different areas and having different ideas. Charlie from Flatine, mm-hmm. another guy who really, True. really cares about Just the corner. And Tom and Phil as well. Honestly, yeah. I yeah. just the best business in the world. I love I'm them. looking forward to speaking to them. I think, um, you know, talking about the, 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 the brand side of things and, and all that as well, was it just quite organic with you guys, you know, in terms of the logo, the colour scheme, the values, the, I mean, I mean, what happened there? Yeah, I mean, it's, so we are on now our third logo. I mean, coming from someone advertising, I was like, God, I keep working on a logo. Yeah. First logo we did, my wife did it. She's uh-huh. a graphic designer. Oh, great. And uh, she did the logo and it had a rolling pin as like the fundamental sort of linchpin mm-hmm. of it, which is obviously like number one no-no for Neapolitan pizza. Like, it's all in your hands. Right. It's never in a rolling pin. So that was that. That I guess is a nice logo because it kind of demonstrates like how far we've come. Yeah. Like, when we did that logo, we had a logo before we had a business. Yeah. As is the way in you know, the two thousand and tens. And then uh, second logo we did. Second logo happened because we did a book with Harper Collins off the yeah. back of the TV show that no one watched on Food Network, and uh, <laughs> they helped us make a logo, which was a second iteration, and that existed for a long time. And actually. If we're honest, if you went into almost any pizza pilgrims today, you'd still see that logo. Yeah. And then there's logo number three, which is like, let's properly sit down. Now we've actually kind of know what we're about and really think about something that's going to work. And we really love logo number three, actually, but it does seem insane that we've had three logos in seven years. And we feel like, as opposed to the maybe more classic approach of spend the money up front and build something that you can then... Laminate it, and that becomes your bible for how to build your business. We're building those materials now. Like we've only just spent, you know, we got Rick through a friend of a friend has put together a proper logo package for us right. for the first time, and we spent what we think is an inordinate amount of money. But you know, yeah. he gave us a really lovely colors, record. fonts, and yeah. all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. He actually made a font bespoke. But that's Peter Pilgrims, and you know, never, ever, ever had like a pile of money. Yeah. It's still majority owned by me and James. Yeah. There's no private equity involved. Yeah. There's no one who's gone, here's five million, let's go and let's do this. Like every decision is like a painful one. Yeah. Spending a couple of grand is like a big, big decision for us. Yeah. Which, you know, I think, you know, it's like that thing about everything great is built out of, you know, those kind of challenging budgets. Yeah. You've got to really think about like how can you make this really go. Well, I think that's a smart point because you know when I was at lastminute.com, I think our total marketing budget was around twenty three point three million pounds, right? Wow. Bartley Card was you know a little under ten. I mean, not that I was responsible for all of that or anything, but you know you were part of that. And then when you went to your sushi, you know it was sub three hundred. Yeah. For sixty stores or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So boy, does it sharpen you up. Absolutely. You know, and I know that's still a lot of money, by the way, but, you know, for what you were, and menus were coming out of that, and print, and all these things, and, and a new website, and, 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 so when you looked at the change that you had left on the table, you were like, oh my God, um, but we pretty much put most of it into social yeah. back then, so that was 2010. But would you say to so someone yeah. like Robin, Roland, or uh-huh. Joe, because he's a leader, yeah. kept the business nimble, because he could make really strong decisions quickly? So, like, in a business like Last Minute, maybe you need a larger budget because it's harder to, you know, just get stuff the out quickly and be a bit sort of nimble and blaggy. Well, I think there's a lesser Robin thing and more a industry thing. Yeah. Which is, uh, it's operator-led, in yeah. the main. Yeah. The marketing department sort of becomes the promotions department, which is very different. Um, the only 
tool that most people seem to have in their box is discounting. Um, so a lot of work goes into that. And weirdly, the discounting line doesn't seem to be as troublesome as the market and budget line. Because your discount line was three or four times, I'm not saying about you, but just any of the business you work with, then your marketing budget and you're thinking, oh, yeah. if I just took that and did yeah, good yeah. stuff with it, then that might help, you know? There's um, a psychology in that of like money not spent versus money spent. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's easier to be like, oh, we're just below, you know, we're kind of giving it away rather yeah. than we're spending. Yeah. And actually, they should be the same. Yeah. You should be treating those exactly the same. Or you should be putting your foot on the gas and trying not, because if you look yeah, again... Obviously, but but yeah. in terms of like actual finance, oh, like yeah, yeah, the yeah. same. But yeah, yeah, you're yeah. right, you should be putting it all in the yeah. promotion rather yeah. than the discount. Well, also, it's interesting, you know, I... I did the podcast with Mark Ritson this morning who's like the greatest marketing professor of our generation right um, I think I don't, can't think of any I've got the only other marketing professor was Kotler and that was like in the 60s or something <laughs> um, so uh, you know on another axis I guess you're thinking about discounting and stuff and so if you've got those slow and steady businesses doing really well there's one more axis I suppose then you've got the ones that truly truly invested in brand at the time like Nando's, Wags, you know, and those kind of peers, you'll never find a prep. You know, you'll never find a discount there. Ever. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of, there's almost like two. So if you can almost do the two magical bits, which is, or three, put your money into the brand, slow and steady, hold your nerve, and, and you know, have value in your product. then Because yeah. then it becomes commoditized, you know. Um but yeah, so I, I think, and also the stuff I was talking to Mark Ritson this morning about, and this is part of what I was saying there, is like, where does marketing beginning and end? Where does it, you know, whereas in most marketing roles in food and drink, they stop and start at what's your campaigns for the year? Whereas they're never involved in pricing, they're never involved in product, they don't have a say on property, you know, and, and, and. So, and the thing, you know, I was talking to Mark Ritson about this morning, or he was talking to me actually, and I was listening, was, you know, just about the breadth of marketing. And if you think about the entire marketing mix, you know, it's meeting an unwanted need at the start. Very rarely are you truly meeting an unwanted need. You know, you're not inventing paracetamol, right? It's, you know, you're just going to do a slightly better version or your version of the thing, you know? Yeah. And if you look at, you know, you leave on PNG and, you know, they're doing that all the time. So, but then if you go through the mix, my fundamental problem, I think, with the restaurant industry in the main is that A, you've got people who are undisciplined is the wrong word. I mean that they haven't had potentially the proper training to be a marketer. So I'm not saying that you have to, to get your scout's badge or your girl guide's badge or whatever, right? But I think it just helps then give you confidence. So what Mark was talking about, he's got a mini MBA course that you can go on. It's like 1,200 quid or something. I'm really tempted to go and do it, by the way. I think it would be amazing. <laughs> but, um, but, but basically, anyway, he was saying about that, He's saying the number one thing that it's given all marketers that have been on it, it's been food ones and non-food and whatever, automotive, whatever, it's given them confidence. Because then when they go into the boardroom and they go into battle with yeah. these, you know, 60-year-old males as it is in the main, that they won't get shouted down, they won't get... And I don't think the CEOs or senior people are doing it to be nasty. It's just that they've got more experience and their debate wins. So actually, if the people had the tools and the logic that could then go in and say, here, you have to be on TV because this. 
you have to spend 300 grand more and this is going to happen. You know, it's just that kind of thing because if marketing was a sure-ish thing and you put in a 10 on you got 100 back, you would do it yeah, all, sure. all day long. But the problem is, like a lot of the chains and stuff, we scrimp on those things as well. We got a slightly cheaper agency. We got a slightly cheaper person in the job that will grow into it and get, you know, and that. So a comment I made, a, a thing for experience when I won the other week there was, um, and I got in a bit of trouble for it, was I think we're a generation behind in terms of marketing and, 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 and food and drink. And it's not anyone's fault that's doing it. It's just the fact, if you look at automotive, you look at e-commerce, you look at retail, you look at all these things, we're just not getting the training that we need. <clears throat> You know, and it's, it's the facts like when we're doing the social media boot camp that we do every year with Propel, you know, it was meant to be for 30 people. 110 people have signed up two years in a row yes. because they just don't know. And I'm not saying we know everything either, but we're hopefully, you know, pushing people on. But, sorry, the point I was making was, where does it start and where does it end? And I, and I think what I'd like to see is operators giving marketers involvement in the consumer, true consumer insight, the product, the promotion, the property, how the place looks, yeah. you know, all these things. I'm not saying it will be helpful, but it kind of feels like it should be together, but I don't know where you guys are on that. Yeah, I mean, it's the full gamut of that experience. I mean, we we um, very early on were lucky enough to go and spend that day with um, John Timpson, who is just obviously one of the legends of retail, but nothing to do with wrestlers at all. But, you know, they have, I think... 1200 or 1800 it's a lot it's more than any restaurant company that exists yeah uh, stores in the UK and they don't have a marketing team their point of view is that every single person who walks out of Timpsons is a marketing like an advocate bomb. almost yeah like walking out and if you've, if you've shown them a great time they'll tell 10 people it's so true and I think it's so important that, that that's pervasive and we, we do you know marketing is something that we talk about a lot but and I think as you grow one of the things that I think we've noticed recently is you know up until pretty recently, me and you have kind of been at the centre of every single part of our business. And now we've, we're growing, we're, we're building a great team, all that kind of stuff. But in some ways, it was easier three years ago because you were kind of judge, jury, and executioner. You yes. Could, you, one laptop was coming up with the idea, yeah. signing off the idea, and then delivering the idea. Yeah. The piece in the middle is the communication thing that just gets so tricky because you've got to... If you're coming up with fun ideas, yeah. a big part of your job becomes convincing other people that the idea is a good idea. Well, interestingly, talking to Mark Risson this morning, and this flipped my mind a bit because I'm all about the fun stuff and the creative and I love all that, but he basically said um, that's 5% of it. It's the data and the insight yeah. and the discipline. And, the, and I was like, <gasps> and he's like, yeah, so basically, but the interesting thing is he's really been banging on about founders being in the business and why that's a great thing. So you two have got license to do that <laughs> because you you are the visionaries, right? Um, whereas, you know, if a market manager comes in or a marketing exec, they don't have the... He, he feels that they don't have the right so much to be going by gut feel. They but should actually be more data That's led. something that we, we find quite hard because, yeah, that kind of... There's the crazy founder thing, which is kind mm. of like up on, you know, on a hill somewhere just sort of barking down all this. And then we really want the advice from those things, but you do always intrinsically have as a quote-unquote founder of a business a complete shortcut to the end goal. You can go, do you know what? No, let's go, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. 
And that makes it tricky because it's hard to get genuine opinions off people sometimes. Yeah. People and just you think you're right, which is not always the case. Yes. Yeah, about the fridges. So, so, yeah. <laughs> Any fridge advice. Yeah. You take it off. I mean, often people don't think you're right, but they don't quite have, The it. way it's set up is that you don't quite have the ability to just go, no, we can't do that. Yeah. We're trying to foster that relationship in our business as much as possible. Yeah. But we quite enjoy being at the sort of the front of the marketing of Pete's Pilgrims because yeah. you don't quite have as much red tape as if we were to employ it. We don't have a, you know, a marketing director or a marketing person. Yeah. Business. So we think that's a great role for the founders to take on because yeah. you can dust off that pretty weird idea but has the ability to like punch through a lot of the other noise that's going on in marketing. Something that's genuinely creative and honest. Yeah. It's, it's hard though. It is hard to give up that baby, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, I've seen it plenty of times when you go in and that's why actually being an agency was better. Yeah. Because you're not a threat. You know, you, you're just kind of... you just do it as an objective person and, and all the rest of it. So how does marketing work in your organisation then? So is it mainly just the two of you? And what what's the discussion? Is it because sales are down? Is it to build the brand? Is it opportunities? Are you just doing stuff naturally? What's going the on? The work there? at the moment is about trying to, for the first time, put a plan together. Yeah. And then and not plan means down. Plan means, like, you know, how do we want to everything from how do we want to talk about on Instagram so like we me and Tom are on the social media channel yeah. still and do all of the correspondence on that and replying to customers yeah. and stuff like that but what is that tone of voice what do the pictures look like what do people want to see from pizza programs on Instagram mm-hmm. turns out shock horror pizza mm. pizza's big pizza's big <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so play your hits for sure but then it's that question of you know you don't want to just post pizza we want to talk about things that we care about and so we post a lot of pictures of the people and you know you should people. you should I mean I think um, so, you can chase likes if you're not careful yeah well I, I think that then becomes one one dimensional doesn't it yeah, yeah. it's it's about a repertoire and, and latest figures we're hearing is that you need to be posting around 80 to 100 pieces of content a day on social media a day a day Wait, what the- not what? on one channel there's many channels oh, right, but, right, right. but basically the thought is that you would do let's say you were doing your your pilgrimage again right or maybe a good idea to do that again um and then that would be your long form content, right? So then what you would do is you would take that and then chop it up into tiny, tiny micro bits of content. And then you would start feeding that out. So there would be short clips, there would be you know still photos with a quote, there would be product shots, there'd be da da da. So all that stuff would be going through and then you'd be posting it out into your visual media, your video media, and your blog media, and things like Medium and all these things as yeah. well, where you know you get into serious chats about, you know, the best and do you in the world and yeah, yeah. So that's all going on. And then what happens is once that's all happening, you start reading what people are saying about that and then that becomes sort of self-fulfilling because then yeah. they're going fuck I really hated what you did there I really love this over here and so you start going oh actually we've got more of that stuff over here and you can just keep repurposing and a really good trick is for you to have like evergreen content on things like YouTube and YouTube's always um, underrated because it's the second biggest social media channel out there after Facebook yeah. so but high barrier to entry, right? You've got to, you've got to be good. You've got to be, you've got to be doing like quite high quality mm, stuff. Uh, well, I think it's nice if it's good enough. I mean, yeah. it doesn't need to be TV or anything. Yeah. But people are going there to be entertained yeah. or find out instructions, you know, that kind of stuff. 
So, you know, it is things like it's no surprise when it's summer, it's no surprise when people are going to want a Negroni or whatever, it's no surprise when people want a limoncello spritz or this type of pizza or yada yada. But you could just, because that will stay evergreen, you know, and the amount of people just still putting in how to boil an egg, you know, is mind blowing, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. if you think about all the recipes you do, so. Although 80 to 100 sounds nuts and probably is far too many for a small organisation to do, the point's there that it's probably more than what you're doing, plus it needs to be more of a breadth yeah. than, than just that. So one of the things I used to do years ago when I was at Yo, um, I mean, we did really well. We get cited as being the most socially engaging restaurant in the world um, by this American sort of magazine sort of things were quite amazing we won two webbies as well which was amazing yeah. David Bowie was on the panel and voted for us that is and Matt Groening from The Simpsons as well was on the same panel anyway so basically um, what we did three things so you have a third of the stuff about brand yeah. a third of the stuff about um, your product and then a third of the stuff about um, your, your insight so what what is it all about? Is it authenticity? Is it fun? Is it Italianism? Is it, you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So that's how you might sort of break up the content. Um, so, yeah, so are you coming up with a yearly plan? Are you just doing it ad hoc? It's, 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 on, it's on my phone. It's, it's ad hoc. I think at the, the bottom of what, we, what we're trying to do with Pizza Programs as a whole in terms of the way we employ people, in terms of the way the restaurants look, and the way that we talk on social media, is there's complete for lack of a less technical term, like a quality between customer and team yeah, member yeah. and us. I always want people to feel when they're following us on Instagram that like we've just created a restaurant that we want to go to. So it's like, it just feels like, it's, it feels like a mate's recommending to you yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. There's no, there's, when, when the waiters serve you a pizza, there's no feel of a hierarchy, like yeah. they're the waiter and you are the customer. Yeah. And I think that creates a really nice environment. And the way that we talk on social media is very much like, we want, everyone to make sure they know that me and Tom love Pete's programs and we love, yeah. you know, that's, that's the restaurant we want to go to. And well, it just creates a nice flat structure. That means we that want no input. We want input as well, though. Yeah. So it's not just like, here is us and here's fully formed and just tell us what you think. It's like, how do we change this? How do we, you know, we've got these two specials, which do you prefer? We recently had a thing where we put pasta on a pizza and the Italian community of London lost it like really? in a with a capital L which is fair enough because we've challenged some of their kind of most fundamental beliefs yeah. so but you like, still you get spaghetti wraps though yeah, I, I mean, mean come you, on look yeah. at I'm just showing you a picture of a carbonara pizza yep <laughs> it caused where do you sit with that I'd give it a go yeah <laughs> sticks of pineapple that's on almost it. certainly a yes <laughs> but then we you know so we got a lot of feedback we're like okay wow we've caused issues here so we did a we did a amazingly we did a poll and we got 52 to 48, like oh. some other major decision that's happened in the last few years. <laughs> and um, so, now, so now we're doing that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we did the whole like, exit. should we do another referendum? <laughs> but you know, we now we now do it where you can order with or without pasta, and you know that's that's like live feedback, and I think it's so nice to be able to do that, like rather than just be like, that's it, take it or leave it. So there's a really fine line. We did a we did a pineapple uh, pizza with Neil Rankin from Temple oh, yeah. last year. So we did like honey, honey marinated, roasted, charred pineapples with uh, induya and pickled chili and all that kind of stuff. Trying to, it's kind of playing on that. It's just trying to keep it fun at the same time. But that would have been great. It was delicious. Yeah. Every pizza came with a, you know, we ran it for a month and every pizza came with a voting slip and you had to vote as you oh, left. Yeah. And, then we did it. and you know, it's just fun. Like, Neapolitan pizza is like steeped in tradition and they would they would change nothing if they could yeah, yeah. and actually it's just so 
it's so good to like you know test the fences a bit yeah. just go like you know can you get away with this yeah, yeah. we don't want to we don't we always want to be great and traditional and there's some things that will never change but you can't nothing good, good comes to the still yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah oh in fact the Pizza Express um, CEO this morning uh, Zoe she's a great thing she just said great brands never stand still so you can't. I think that's a good point right I'm going to do the last couple of questions then um, which brilliantly haven't updated from my phone so um, we, we do a feature um, at the end of every podcast now called Market of Ten so it's about your best stuff and your worst stuff right. so best city to eat in London's pretty great uh-huh. I don't know if there's many other cities that have the breadth of what we have I find that you can you can eat anything in London mm-hmm. so you know big up London I think we you know wouldn't be us without saying Naples yeah what a mad mad place we went to a restaurant called Nanella uh, last time we went there and I mean it, it failed every kind of London restaurant test for like quality hospitality but it was the most brilliantly unforgettable experience thing I've ever had in a restaurant. I'll never ever forget it. The food was, you know. I think that's right. I think the thing about Italian cities and restaurants is that they don't accept, similar in a lot of places in France, but in Italy, they don't accept bad food. There's yeah. great food in London, but there's also a lot of really bad food. Yeah, yeah. Just, a bad pizzeria in Naples wouldn't be in business. Which is why. Yeah. Naples is very, very hard to have a bad food experience. It's great. And what about best meal or best dish? What's like your absolute favourite dish ever that you crave? I do think spaghetti vongole is really hard to beat. Oh, is it? Any, it doesn't need to be from a restaurant. No, uh, well, just yeah. Well, it can be something at home or whatever. But yeah, just best meal ever. Do you know what I had on Sunday night? Delivery week moment. Been out, you know, been out for lunch, had a few drinks. Curry. I haven't had a curry in a long time. The curry, the Indian... It's well, it's just, just that classic, like, chicken tikka masala. It's just classic takeaway. Yeah. It's just the best thing in the whole world. It is. Poppadoms. Poppadoms, nambres. I mean, it was, it was absolutely vulgar what, what was going on at the table. But yeah, we did the full Indian takeaway experience, and that was absolutely glorious. Best alcoholic drink? Well, obviously, alcohol. it's our limoncello that we produce, Pocacello. Okay. Available in all uh, stores. <laughs> hashtag ads. All good yeah. and some not so good yeah. retailers. Uh, uh, I, I, I mean, I honestly think a cold pint of like we, generic we, lager. We were just talking about like that. I'm a bit overcrafted. If it's got hops, I'm not into it. Pub and he goes, do you do cooking lager? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like Carlsberg is the dream. Yeah, Carlsberg um, and Heineken. Like, the, new, the new Carlsberg's really nice, actually. Yeah, totally. They, they, they've totally redone their recipe and all that. We have Birmoretti in a lot of pizzerias, and I love that. But, like, yep. I, I want to love craft. I want to absolutely love it. And I, I and what about, um, so we were just talking about this before, but just to prove to my mates and everyone that's English, my neighbours and all that, Tenants is a premium brand in Italy, right? So in England, obviously, Peroni is like the premium lager, and it's all very posh and, like, you know, Italian style or whatever. And Super Tenants is... Fair to say, not. Yeah. In Italy, is the opposite. Peroni is like your entry level, like, yeah, having a Peroni, whatever. Super Tenants is served in like a branded frosted glass out of the top shelf. <laughs> it's like 18 euros a they bottle. They do that whole thing where they kind of present the bottle over their arm. With yeah, their, like their a thing. bottle of like Sancerre or something. So. It is incredible. And that is the you know, definition of marketing, right? I was pleased with that. Yeah. <laughs> so great. And then the last one is um, worst meal ever. Name and shame. Worst meal ever. That is a punchy one. I like it. Oh my god, it's so hard. The Easy Jet Pizza. It's, it's got pretty grim, isn't it's it? It's got room for growth. That 
Is that you doing your job interview for uh, for EasyJet to you know have pizza pilgrims? Uh... Oh God, no. Um, oh, it's quite hard. We're not very good at being critics. Yeah, we're bad at being bad. Uh, like, yeah. I really want to nail this one though. Well, have I think well you answer then because I forgot one was best restaurant you've ever been to. Best restaurant I've ever, ever been to. Yeah. I, I will honestly say so. Our parents used to run a pub in Dorset. Yeah. And every uh, year, they used to take the head chef uh, as a like thank you to like an amazing restaurant experience to go and like just you know Ooh. just as a you know as a little thing. At the end, like the last couple of years, we sort of cottoned onto this and were like we can come to this. So I did once go to restaurant Gordon Ramsay in Royal Hospital Road, and I can honestly say it was flo- it was one of those experiences where, like it's flawless. You wanted it to be too stuffy or too like fancy or too. It just everything about it was perfect. Yeah. They just read the table perfectly. You know, they knew that we weren't like up for the seat. It just, everything was perfect. You, you really couldn't find a flaw in it. And I just think that is service. It's like yeah. every table is read and delivered a perfect experience. And the next table along wanted something completely different, and they got something completely different. And there are only thirty people in the restaurant. But but even still, that's um, so. So, worst, worst meal restaurant ever? You got that? Worst meal yeah. ever. I'm, I'm, I'm not picturing an actual place, but I'm picturing that generic summer holiday you are completely beholden to local mm. tourist trap, restaurant operator, yeah, yeah. microwave, paella kind of vibe. Yeah. It's that place where yeah, there's yeah. a picture of it. They usually make, there's like either a plastic version of the dish yeah. or a made version of the dish outside. With and flies. You're, you're in a glorious place, but there's just nowhere great to eat. Yeah. And you just go, we're going to have to go. And it's all laminated. And yeah, yeah. and you just you get cattle prodded through the process, <laughs> and then you get charged top dollar for. A weak sangria. And it's always, you always when, you, when you're by the sea and you want to have seafood, and you know that that seafood's come on a truck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they always present like a longer seat on the top of a pile. Right, chaps, I think we'll go because. Uh, this has been a good long chat. It has it's been great. Good. Two pints. Two pints. Done two hours. Yeah. So thank you so much. Thank you, you on so your much. as well. I know. <laughs> Happy days. And um, yeah, we just wish you well. And um, thanks so mate. much. Thanks Cheers, so much, man. Cheers. So there you have it. What an incredible pair of business brains who have just been so humble, so curious, so authentic in terms of how they started up Pizza Pilgrims how they've made it to where they are today, and also, very excitingly, where they're going in the future. Thanks so much to the guys for giving up their precious time to talk to me over the last hour or so. A huge thanks also to BDO, our sponsors. Please do head to bdo.co.uk if you want to get some information, but just hugely thankful for them being so supportive since the inception of the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Massive thanks also to Gaz and Gabby for all of their help in putting the Supersonic Podcast together. Thanks to you also for helping us go up the charts. Thanks to everyone who's sharing, rating, reviewing and writing to me on a daily basis. I really, really appreciate it and I love hearing from you. So please do get in touch and we'll help as much as we can. So this is me, Mark McSee, signing off. Thanks so much for listening. I hope it's been great value in terms of the episode and the content within it. And I really hope that the lessons learned and all of the things talked about today will help your brand boom. Boom.